Hello, my name is Christine Deeson, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Nathan Mertens, teaching assistant professor of saxophone at the University of Arkansas. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background, not only in music, just in general as a, as a person? Yeah, so I am, was born and raised in the States, in Nebraska. I was a very eager kid, but I didn't have a teacher, so I was sort of self-taught throughout the whole process. I went to undergrad as a music ed and German major because I wanted, I, I didn't know what I wanted to teach, but I liked German and I liked music, and so I was like, let's do both. Then they put me in a classroom right away, and I was like, oh, I don't like this. But I knew I still wanted to teach. So I talked to my teacher about what what existed. And she was like, well, you could be a university professor, but it's a hard road. And I said, okay, well, how do I do that? And she said, start practicing a lot. And so that sort of took me on my journey of lots of practicing and building connections with other people. And so I did five years in Nebraska, and then I went on to the University of Texas where I did my master's and my doctorate. That's where I felt like I really grew as an artist and as a person. I felt like, you know, after an undergraduate degree, you sort of had the fundamental skills to sort of move forward. So I did that, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted for a grant with the Japanese government, and I spent two years in Tokyo studying and learning, which was, again, a life-altering experience. New place, new culture, new people, new pedagogy, and figuring out how that all fits into my life. And then I moved back to the States, got my first teaching job, I'm actually back at my alma mater, replacing my teacher. And now I'm at the University of Arkansas teaching saxophone. So I bounced around a lot. And I think that's good because I have a bunch of different perspectives. Not all of them work for me, but I have them at my disposal to, to use them with students or with colleagues or whatnot. Wow. It sounds like you've traveled the world. And what fulfilling experiences that you've had being able to go to different places and being actually in a position to be able to do that. So one of the things that you mentioned early on was when you were talking about your early education throughout your undergraduate studies to your master's, what led you to the path of the saxophone? And also to what type of advice would you give to young professionals in regards to searching for these types of opportunities that you have for yourself? For me, it was like, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what avenue that was going to take, right? So the traditional route of being a teacher is like, I'm going to be a band director. And that that's a great profession. It just was like, very much not for me. And so sort of embarking as being a performance major was tough, mostly because my family didn't understand. I don't think I really understood what it was going to mean or to take. But I knew in sort of my heart of hearts, this is what I wanted to do, right? My undergraduate teacher at one time said, if you can see yourself doing anything else, go do it because it's like music is not, not an easy life. And if you can see yourself doing it, go do that because you, you're going to be happy. And I kept every time I thought about quitting, it was like, I, but I don't want to do anything else. I don't see myself doing anything else. I hope I forever have, you know, this hunk of brass strapped to my body and I, I get to share that with people was always my dream. And so I kept going for it, which part of my path, and I've talked with a couple other people, it's almost delusional. I had un, like, I was so determined that this is what I was going to do. And even though the market is tough, and even though people said, you're going to fail, and I did, I failed plenty of times, but I was like, this is what 
I'm going to do and I'm going to keep going for it. And I never, I never stopped believing in myself in sort of the long run, the long term, plenty of short terms. I was like, I don't, this is not good enough. I, I need to stop. And breaks are important, but I really pushed forward through all of that. And I doubled down on myself. I was betting on myself always. I know that's not maybe not the best advice, but do the work and bet on yourself. And really, if, if it's what you want to do, really go for it. There's a there's a book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he writes about in that book that we all have this life. It's called the unlived life. And when I read that when I was a young student, I was like, I never want to have my unlived life. I never want to go. What if? And so that was that's sort of been sort of the engine that's kept me going for over the past couple decades. No, I think it's really inspiring. The fact that you mentioned about these ideas of failure, really just having the grit to just continue and to be able to learn from those too. And I I think it's actually really great advice. And this is actually advice that I give to my students is that it's okay to fail because of the fact that our society frames it in such a way that we always have to be perfect all the time. And the thing is, well, how do we get there? How do we get to that idea of perfection? How do we get to that idea of making it to the next level, right? And so I, I think you there's a lot of really great things that you mentioned here in regards to not giving up and betting on yourself because I feel like we could do that more often. Yeah, and it's a lot about like, I think I've been able to sustain a career and even just like practicing, right? This is like daily practice advice. Be happy where you are at the moment and be along for the journey. If, if, if you're all results driven, like I want this job and then I'm gonna be happy. And it's probably not going to like, no, if, if you're like, I enjoy what I do. I want to be impactful every day with students. I want to give concerts. And those are all along the path towards that thing. I don't think I'm ever going to arrive at thing, but I want to have a good time and enjoy my life sort of in the process of getting towards that thing, even though I think it's always getting farther away. I want to enjoy that process and, and enjoy the people along that process because you can't do it alone. No, that's true. And I and I think it's one of those things that sometimes I, I'm sure you, you saw this as you were going through your education and you seeing this dealing with the number of professionals that you do. But, you know, the idea of burnout, you know, the idea of, you know, the difference between what does that look like versus how we sometimes forget about the process and actually that the process is actually what makes the journey interesting. And I think what would you what would you say to people who want to focus on the results? This is something I do talk about a lot in my teaching. I have like this, this, these two boards and one says success and then success equals. And then we've got like, you know, process or results, right? And I'm, I, results is literally X'd out. And, I, and like, like, for example, if we're talking about embouchure, right? If you're like looking for this one result in an embouchure, okay, maybe you're going to get it sometimes, but it's very like luck, right? Fingers crossed luck. But if you go through the process, if the process is the same every time, you're probably going to get the results. Now we're talking about orchestral auditions and, and, and the job market, and there's no sort of way to go about it. But my process has always been about me and my work to, to not sound too much like a fortune cookie, but like when you're in that journey, make sure that the only comparison you're making is to yourself from the previous day. I tell all my students that are like, well, I'm not good enough as, as this person or this person is doing that. And I tell them comparison is the thief of joy, right? And as soon as we start comparing ourselves to other people, then our journey seems 
less than, right? And I'm sure there is a 10-year-old somewhere in the world who plays saxophone better than I played saxophone, right? And and that's fine. And I'm excited that the level is constantly increasing, but I'm on this journey myself, right? And I'm I'm in control of me and my own process. And so all of that moving towards those results. So it, it sounds sort of uh, cliche, but like focus on yourself and your own work and and be happy for your colleagues who are also doing good work, right? Like if you, if you don't get the job, I mean, yeah, it's not great if for you, but be excited about your colleagues. And I, I'm of the philosophy that like all boats rise with the tide. See, fortune cookie. No, it sounds like, no, these are really great fortunes that you're, you're telling us. You know, and, and, and that's the thing. It's like when we think about the idea of community and community building and not only just being able to establish connections, you know how people talk about the hustle, you know, like, <laughs> but actually not just the hustle, but actually being able to establish meaningful connections, not only with the students that you work with on a daily basis, but with the people that you encounter in your life. At least for me, I'm always about kindness. I feel like kindness really goes a long way, just also because you don't know that particular person's story and being able to engage with in, with them in that way too. Yeah, no, but this is this is really great. Like being able to focus on yourself and being able to say, okay, this person might do better, but that doesn't mean I can't do better for myself. And I think those are really, really impactful words, Nathan. Thank you. So so do you feel with the way the structure is in the university system or even in the college system, do you feel like we're doing the maximum that we can for our students in regards to letting them know about the competitiveness? nature of the industry? I think it's it's a hard line to ride because you don't want to be discouraging to students. I will never tell them, I don't think you have what it takes. I will simply say, the work ethic that you're exhibiting now does not match the goals that you have told me that you want, right? So it, it, I, I'm not saying that you're not capable of doing it because yeah, you, you are capable, but the work that you are exhibiting doesn't match what what it's going to take to get to that level. I think it's important, especially with like my graduate students, we talk about the realities of the job market, like how many jobs were available and what did they pay? And then we start talking about, we, we, we use the word alternative career paths, but I just think we should just call them music career paths because I think the academy and the music industry as a whole, we do such a good job of, of promoting two paths, the orchestral path and the academic path. And if you don't fit in either one of those, then somehow you're seen as a failure. And you were talking about burnout earlier. And I feel like because those are the two ways to get recognized the most in our field, people that have other paths but are constantly working towards that, they feel this feeling of less than. I know before I had a university position, I felt like I didn't amount to anything, that I had like wasted a doctorate and I I wasn't ever going to do anything. And I think it's important to find the value you again in the daily in in the process and the things that you are doing, which is why I encourage a lot of students to like write a mission statement. And so what is your personal mission behind music? I know that seems very like businessy, which sometimes gets a negative rap, but what is your personal mission statement? And mine is connection, right? Connection and advancement. And so it's like through my teaching, even if I didn't have a university job, but I was teaching at a high school, I'm, I'm connecting with those students. I'm helping 
to advance those students. I am fulfilling my mission. I'm fulfilling the thing that makes me happy. It's just maybe not the title, right? And so really focusing on the work and less about the title. But I also think it's important to for the people in those positions to talk about the realities of the position. I mean, we often see orchestral players and university professors of like, this is the best career ever, but they only talk about the good stuff. They don't talk about like sometimes all of the committees or all of the emails or all of the things that they have to do. So yeah, finding a way to talk about the realities of the market without saying it in a way that's getting people to not pursue their their dreams. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but No, it, it makes perfect sense and I and I think you you hit on a lot of points here, you know, the idea of, you know, at least for me, I feel like if you trust someone or if you have confidence in someone's uh, abilities, but being able to balance that with, you know, okay, well, as a human you're great, as a person you're great. There's not a question about that. But in regards to being able to match that work ethic that we need in order to be able to achieve our goals, right? Whether we we are successful at them, right? Because we, we talk about the idea of what success could be for someone. Success could be different for A or student B in a different way, but that doesn't devalue them. And that's something that I think we sometimes forget is that, you know, when we think about ourselves as musicians, we are sharing something. We want to be able to exhibit something, whether it's whatever genre. And I think this is, it makes perfect sense, Nathan, with everything that you've mentioned. And I think this is something our audience needs to hear because of the the fact that when we think about the year 2020, there's so many different types of things that we can do with music. So what have you thought about? What do you encourage your students to do in that regard, in regards to after you figure out their mission statement, which I don't think is a bad idea. I think it actually helps. I think it actually helps students be able to focus on what their objective is from the beginning and being able to see how that grows over time. Yeah. And that's allowed to change. That's what I say. It's allowed to change. Like the mission statement is flexible, right? And so you could come in one year and I want to be a music ed person. And then you're like, oh, well, but I, I, I really like theory and I think think I want to be a theorist. Okay, super. Or, you know, I have a couple students who are like, I want to be music producers. Great. Well, let's figure out how to get you sort of in alignment to be music producer, right? And so I think it's about, I help students mission statement, but then it's finding opportunities. And I think it's really important as a teacher to check my ego because it's easy to say, okay, I want all my students to be the best saxophonists, right? I do. I do want them all to be really good saxophonists. However, sometimes it's important to also like, we need to address, okay, in the lesson, we're going to take 10 minutes to help you find an internship. So that way you're able to find that music. You want to be a music producer? Let's help you find that internship for that process. Or let's find the courses to match that. Let's find the music industry. Let's connect you with someone that maybe I know or one of my friends knows to be able to do that. It's it's tricky because applied lessons, you know, I've got an hour with a student once a week and we need to focus on playing quite a bit of it. But I think if we only focus on playing, we're neglecting the, like the whole student and we need to really help guide them towards their future because we we get a lot of students, a lot of my former colleagues don't play anymore. And I feel like we pump out these great musicians and then we don't know how to market. We don't know how to talk about ourselves. We don't know how to put the materials, all the pieces together to actually be sort of, to use your terminology, the modern artist, right? Because it's, it's so different than it was when a lot of our teachers, when they got their jobs. And so we have to teach a little bit different from our teachers in order to have our students be successful. No, and I think that's I think that's something really important to share when we think about how our society, our world has changed. When we were students a long time ago, no, just kidding. You're <laughs> 
but when we when we were much younger, even back then, it was it was different. Completely different market. It was completely different. And you know, the thing is with digital marketing, with social media management, and having to keep track of these things, being able to be your own advocate. So, how do you encourage students to be their own advocates in regards to what they're learning from you, or in, in general from the university system? Well, I think it's important for them to like really, really understand what they want to do and then to understand who they are and what they have to bring. I always ask my students a question that was asked to me. It was like, what makes you special? Or another question I ask a lot of my students in the entrepreneurship classes, if you were an item on like, I'm being sold uh, like at a store, what would be the five descriptors that you would use to describe? And it's, it really gets students thinking about, well, who am I and what do I have to offer? Because oftentimes when we're, we're young musicians, we're trying to fit a mold, right? Mm-hmm. Don't stand out too much. I want to sound like everyone else. But in order to win these jobs, oftentimes people like talk about, well, we're hiring a person. We're hiring an individual. We're hiring an artist with an individual voice, a unique voice. Okay, well, that's not fitting the mold, right? And so really encouraging students to figure out who they are, what they want to do, and then owning that through, if student brings recital repertoire to me, I say, okay, how does this repertoire, what, what does this repertoire say about you as an artist? Besides, I like these pieces, but does is this, is this the justice movement that you like, right? Or is this, how is this advancing society? Is are, is it connected to some demographic group that you represent or that you are promoting, right? Those types of things really define you as an artist. And instead of just, yeah, I do it because everyone else does it. That to me is where I, my teaching is different is I'm always asking, how does this represent you? And how does this represent your values? And so starting those conversations earlier with students, I think is important. Sometimes uncomfortable because you're 19 years old and you're like, he's asking me about my mission and my values. But again, it's all flexible. It all can change. But we're just starting that process of thinking about yourself as, I don't want to say a good to be sold, but something that is marketable. No, and I think this is I think this is really valuable in regards to encouraging young people to think like this. Because, you know, for example, just because you're 18 or 19 years old doesn't mean you're not capable of thinking this way. And I feel like sometimes we, as a society, say, okay, well, this person is this age, therefore they're only capable of doing XYZ. Whereas I think we as humans have unlimited capacities. It's just a matter of being able to be in contact with teachers like yourself as a means of being able to encourage growth. And I feel like by encouraging growth, not only as a player with what you've mentioned, but also too with personal growth that you it seems that you you tie those things together. And I think that's such a, a great formula for, for your students. Yeah. And I think it's I try to be as pro- professional, but also sort of real and transparent about like my own growth and my own journey, because oftentimes we see university professors, orchestral players, people sort of at the top of the field as like they've never struggled or they've never had. And I think talking about the like, oh, I thought I was going to be a German teacher. Right. And and talking about like, oh, I had this many failed auditions. I had this many failed grant applications and, and talking about what I learned through the process. Again, back to the process, what I learned through th- through that timeline in order to be successful instead of always seeing things as, I mean, yes, there are mistakes, but I take sort of the the Ben Kamen's approach, um, bassoon professor from Rice. He one time did a masterclass when I was at Texas and he said, when I practice, the only thing I think is, isn't that interesting? And I've sort of adopted that with my life. So if things are good or bad, I have a pretty objective feeling about it, which keeps me like staying positive and moving forward. And that's what I try to instill in my students was that like, we will have setbacks. 
inevitably we will, but like how we sort of push through them. And now I sound like cliche, but I mean, it's really true because all there have been so many setbacks that I could have just folded up and quit, you know, put the case away and stop playing and stop teaching, but just sort of kept believing in myself. And I'm, I don't know where that came from. And I wish I would have had more support along the way. So that's why I try to do this with my own students. So they have a sounding board to not feel like they're floating on an island if they want to do this outrageous thing. And I think that's, I think that's the thing also too. When we think about the teachers that we've had in our lives and, you know, we think about the support, whether we get support, financial support in regards to going through our education or even just like emotional support, because it can be it can be really emotionally draining in regards to being able to, like you've mentioned, being positive, being objective, forgiving yourself, but at the same time, understanding what one needs to do to move forward. I think these are all really important things. And I I feel like, you know, by having these types of conversations, especially with our students or even for those who are listening, are very important because that authenticity, that genuineness, the ability to connect with people, that is that is what you know our society is. We want to connect whether it's through technology or whether it's through in-person interaction. I think you've hit on a lot of really great things here, Nathan. Yeah. And that connection, I mean, inevitably, that's why I started music, right? It was through music, we're able to connect with ourselves. We're enabled to connect with other people. Like there's so much, we're doing this because of connection. We're doing this because of community. And yes, I think so much of what we do is alone, right? I'm an independent artist. I am a, I, I practice by myself, but knowing and having that support in the community is so important. And, you know, my teachers were there for me for to always like lend an ear. And I, at the time I just thought, yeah, that's what a teacher does, but that's not what every teacher does. And I, I, I want to be that for my students, right? So that way they can, they can dream big and let's find a way to get to that, that dream, right? If that's your dream, here are the, all the steps to get there instead of, um, well, the music industry is hard and you probably don't have what it's what it takes. So and that's sort of been my story. I'm from a town of 2000 people. I didn't have I didn't have a saxophone teacher until I went to college. And this was pre you, you know, now I'm dating myself. This was pre YouTube. And so I, I couldn't teach myself online, you know, and I showed up to my first saxophone lesson in college without a saxophone because I thought it was syllabus day. Things that I would just be so upset if my students did. I I had never played a real saxophone solo before. I think I knew two major scales. I don't know why I was accepted. I, I think I was just really excited and really eager and, and, and someone took a chance on me. Right. And, and believed in my spirit, I guess you could say for that. I'm forever grateful. No, I just, I just, I just, Sorry, I love it. It's just, it's like, I thought the first day was syllabus day, so I didn't have my saxophone. No, I mean, but these are, I'm so sorry. Clueless. No, but I mean, but the thing is the fact that you have like the humility um, to be able to, you know, share that with us and to say, you know, this was, this is what it started. This is what it was before. And this is what it is now. And being able to take those, take those people. I'm so sorry. I'm just tearing up from laughing. <laughs> but being able to just be yourself and, you know, through, throughout the process and having that spirit and having someone take a chance. And, and I feel like we need to do that more for people because a lot of the time, you know, when people really want to do something, when people really are invested and you can see that it's like, all right, you may not have this right now, X, Y, Z, but I really like what this is right here. And it's not even just about like what they are as players, but also who they 
are as people, because ultimately the students that you work with are the people that you can work with. I always talk about like my students. I always want to teach in a way that I'm teaching that like the next generation of colleagues that I'm going to be working with. Right. Like I can't wait to be old and have the field filled with students that I had one time taught. Right. I would be so lucky. And I want them to be good people. I want them to be I want good communicators and I want them to be kind and I want them to be empathetic and I want them to be welcoming and and inclusive and all of these things that are so important for me as a teacher and how I teach. And so it's I want the field to be like, you know, littered with amazing people. Yeah. Be good at your instrument, but also like be, be a good person. Earlier, you said something, it was like, you know, making sure that they are good players. And I think part of being a mentor is also having those come hard conversations to talk about maybe some personality traits that aren't conducive to a professional life. And those are not easy conversations to have, but I think it's important to have them. That way we're not continually sort of pushing students through degrees and never addressing maybe some personality flaws or some interpersonal relationships that they keep rubbing people the wrong way. If there's a history of this, I think that needs to be addressed earlier. So that way people, they are aware of who they are as a person. Sort of 360 view of yourself, I think is important. It's the feedback on being a musician, but also feedback on how you are as a human. No, this is really great. And I think that awareness is something that, you know, sometimes we're not fully aware of what we're doing because we're so focused on what we need to do as musicians, but being able to be aware of like how the culture is, how our society is, you know, how, how can we interact? How, how do you instruct or help your students in being able to prepare them in regards to the digital world that we live in today? I mean, we have YouTube, we have Spotify, we have iTunes, you know, type of thing. So the digital world, I mean, I feel like I'm preparing them for the world that they currently live in, but I'm not preparing them for the future because I have literally no idea what that future is. But I'm preparing them to use as many of the resources as possible. And so like we record every lesson, right? And those are put on, those are put on like sort of a cloud device. Everyone watches them and email. I I hope email is a thing of the past in 10 years. I'm not sure what we'll be using, but I hope it's better than email. But email etiquette, how we're, how we're using email in, in terms of like how we're writing it, because students will oftentimes send emails like text messages. And I think digital literacy is really important and also understanding that like everyone can put something on YouTube, right? So we have conversations about what professional recordings are and where to find them. And I'm not saying YouTube is bad by any means, but being able to, if you're a first year student studying standard repertoire, maybe we should be seeking out sort of professional recordings and ones that have been produced. So that way we're, we're sort of listening to sort of the top of the field. Yeah. Outside of that, I rely heavily on my, my colleagues um, in sort of like the music technology area to help students with that. I'll help students with websites if they need help because I've built a couple myself. Those generally happen outside of lessons. I don't police students social media. However, I like to sort of teach by example. So like studio, my studio has an Instagram and talking about how to curate that. Also branding is something that we talk about. One of the students was like, Hey, you got here and now we have a brand and now we have a color guide. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is how we do those things. And so all of our materials look the same, right? You know, all about that. There's three different modern 
and artist projects right here. Having, having all of that, I think is important. And so from a lot of my students, it's just building that awareness that this is something to look for as being a professional. But in terms of teaching technology, I rely a lot on my colleagues to do that because we have so much to do personality goals, saxophone wise, that there's just not enough time to do all of that, as you know. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's, de- that's definitely true. And I think in a couple of points that you mentioned, you know, this idea of digital literacy, what I love about the things also that you mentioned after that is the fact that these small things, even though they may seem like a small part, they actually in the long term, they actually are very important. Being able to understand what do you want to represent? What are you wanting to share with the world? Back to what you had mentioned, what makes you special? What makes you unique? And why, why should we listen? Because there's so many, there's so many of us out there, you know, who want to do the same thing, who want to make recordings, who want to play concerts, who want to go to conferences, you know, and geek out on saxophone or clarinet or any instrument. And I think, I think this is, this is really valuable things that I don't feel are really communicated all the time in different settings. And I think this is something that's really great. I was just going to say, I think that's the hard thing about what we do is that there's so much to pack into lesson. You know, there's a repertoire, there's scales, there's how to practice, there's intonation, articulation. I mean, like we lessons can be three hours long and we still don't hit everything. And then we're addressing career goals and like all of the stuff that there is to be a modern artist and it all can't be taught. And so I think the other thing that I, I like to instill in students is like this inquisitive nature. So if I don't have TikTok, because I, 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 if I get it, I'll get sucked in. But if the students want to make TikToks, great, then I'll connect you with other colleagues who know, and we can figure out ways to do that. So building that inquisitive spirit to like seek out that information instead of always relying on the information to be given to you, which again is like my upbringing where like there was no YouTube, right? I had like checked out books about saxophone phone and like was like reading them to get excited but to stay curious I think that's the thing that also helps is staying curious about what the market is like and learning more about it no and I and I think you know the idea of staying curious is something really essential and I know you know people always think oh you have to go to the best school in order to get the best education and things like that and I feel like with the tools that you're given in any situation right be it I think community college conservatory university or what have you I think it's about how scrappy you can be in being able to like look for this stuff yourself, trying, attempting to make, you know, you know, these types of designs for websites, being able to attempt writing a biography. I know for a fact I had to learn how to do all of that stuff myself. And throughout the last 15 years of learning, you know, what I needed to do, I was able to come to this point. And do you ever get tired with how, because it's still changing. I mean, do you ever get exhausted with how how fast the world is moving in regards to this type of artistry yeah I think I think I get tired I mean I'm just generally tired um, but I, I think it's um, for me it's like when there's something new on the horizon to go ahead and try that right and so like I think in the next this summer my one of my summer projects actually is to figure out TikTok because I I, I don't use it right but then but I don't want to be the professor that like 
everyone is using TikTok and I refuse to use it, right? Or like now it's it, for a while it was Facebook, now it's Instagram, right? We're constantly moving. And I think not being too married to any platform um, or to any one concept and always be thinking like, okay, where where is the future? But as an educator, that's what I'm looking at for my students. Where is the future and how can I prepare them for that? So yeah, I think I get tired, but if I stay curious about learning this new thing, and I think I'll be for a forever student, right? I'm always learning new things. I mean, the students teach me like the new lingo. One of them said I had, he said I had drip. And I was like, I don't know what that means. It means like you're cool. It means you're stylish. It means you dress well. And so now I use it and I'm, I feel like a dad when I do it and they look quite embarrassed. But you know, like I stay, I, I want to know what world they're living in because what their, their world and my world are different, but yet we're all living in the same world. Very meta, but yeah. No, this is, no, this is really great. No, I think Nathan, I think we're going to leave on that note. So thank you for joining us today and for sharing your experience and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you continue to do for our community. And I, I really look forward to hearing more about what you do with your career. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. Thank you.